Chapter 27 of Up the River by Oliver Optic The Planter and His Family This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. I was quite exhausted after my efforts and the strain put upon me, and I was in no humor even to be praised. Some of the Negroes our boats picked up on planks and on their toppling houses might have been drowned, but I did not believe the people in the mansion houses were in any great danger. However, I had never seen an inundation before, and I may have been mistaken. My father was one of the first to visit me in the pilot house. "'You have done well, Alec,' said he. And that was all he did say, for he was not given to praising anyone beyond his desert. "'What are you going to do with all these people?' We can land them or put them on board of one of the steamers here, I replied, and I had not thought of the matter before. Mrs. Shepherd is very nervous indeed and is anxious to get away from this place, continued my father. The islander might have gone on, I suggested. We could not leave until assured that you did not need the assistance of the other steamer. We were about to send a line to you and attach to one of the steamers. The only trouble was to get a line long enough and strong enough. While we were talking, Colonel Hungerford came into the pilot house. I introduced him to my father, and the planter indulged in more praise, which I do not care to repeat. He informed me that he had chartered one of the river steamers to take his servants and those of the other planters down to Carrollton a few miles below. I am now going on board of another steamer to inquire if she's bound up the river, for I have concluded to visit my brother at Baton Rouge, but I suppose my mansion would not be fit to live in for some weeks to come, if ever. I desired to know your address, Captain Alec. Excuse me, but that is what I hear others call you, that I may communicate with you at some future time. Quite unnecessary, said my father with a smile, as though he suspected the object of the inquiry. But I desire to express my sense of obligation to your son for the great service he has rendered me and my family persisted the planner. You have done that already, sir, to my entire satisfaction, I added. You are very strange people not to allow me to do something. We are decidedly averse to having anything done, replied my father, laughing, not because anything was funny, but to prevent the southern gentleman from taking offense at what he said. My son owns and commands this yacht, and I dare say he will be glad to have you take passage in his steamer to Baton Rouge or to any other point on the river in our route. I shall be most happy to accept your very kind invitation, replied Colonel Hungford promptly. By this time the steamer had engaged to take his people, as he called them, like one of the patriarchs of old, came alongside. The four planters had a consultation as to what disposition should be made of the servants, and the business manager of one of them was appointed to take the entire charge of the party. 
The other planters were going to New Orleans, and the same steamer was to convey them there. In less than half an hour the boat started, and we restored things to their former condition on board of the Sylvanian Islander. We lashed boats again and restored the bridge from one vessel to the other. All hands were employed in cleaning up the Sylvania, and I asked Captain Blastblow not to allow any of his passengers or crew to come on board till this had been done. He complied with my request and sent all his crew on board to help. We did not get under way until this was done, as Moses wanted to overhaul the engine a little bit, for he declared that such a wrenching as he had given the machine was enough to start half the nuts and bolts. My father remained in the pilot house talking with the planter, but the subject of their conversation was the inundation. I lay upon the sofa resting myself and rather dreading to meet the people on board of the islander, for I had been praised enough and this sort of thing was becoming more embarrassing. As the hands were drowning the decks again, Washbourne brought the family of Colonel Hungerford into the pilot house, which was about the only place for them unless they went into the cabin. The planter introduced his wife, son, and daughter to my father and myself. In the daughter I saw a very beautiful young lady. The son was very affable and pleasant, and the father and mother were not less so. All of them began to express their obligations to me, and I replied as cheerfully as I could. We shall have a very pleasant party up to Baton Rouge, Colonel Hungerford, I ventured to say in order to turn the current of the conversation. It's no use, Blanche, said the colonel to his daughter, who had been the last to speak. Captain Alex won't let you speak of any obligation, and he won't even give me his address. I don't think he has any address in particular at present, interposed my father, unless it be upon the high seas or the great lakes. I have not yet made a home in America as I intend to do. When we have one, we shall be very glad to have you discharge whatever sense of obligation you may feel by making us a visit, and we shall judge the depth of the obligation by the length of the visit. Upon my word, that would be an odd way to discharge an obligation, and we should be obliged to stay with you all the year round, replied the planner. The young lady had snapping black eyes, and I saw that she wanted to say something, but was restrained by the newness of the acquaintance. If we had got out of the river half an hour sooner, we might have saved imposing ourselves upon your hospitality. For a large steamer went up then, said Colonel Hungerford. She stopped a little while at the crevasse, and I am told, but finding... She could do no good, she went on. I am glad she did, as otherwise she would have cheated us out of your pleasant company, replied my father. You are very kind, Major Garningham, replied the colonel. I confess I am greatly interested in your steamer, for I never have seen one like it before that I can remember. Washburn reported that the engine was in order and that the cleaning process was finished. I directed the pilot to blow his whistle and go ahead. 
In a few minutes we were again stemming the tide of the Mississippi. The crowd on the levees and the steamers honored us with a series of rousing cheers to which the pilot replied with the steam whistle. As soon as we were fairly out of the vicinity of the late exciting scene, the passengers of the islander, including Mrs. Shepherd, came on board. They were all presented to the planter and his family, and of course there was a great deal to say about the inundation, including the details of the escape of the people on the knoll. I found that the party were soon the best of friends, and I went into my room to lie down. I was so tired that I dropped asleep. I was awakened by Captain Blasblow coming into my room. He seemed to be considerably excited, but I was sure he would not be where he was if any accident had happened to either steamer. Sorry to disturb you, Cap Malik, but this has been a very exciting time, and while we were all so busy, your two prisoners having taken to themselves legs or wings and cleared out, said he with a lugubrious gaze at me as I sat upon the bed. Cleared out, I exclaimed. Where have they gone? That's what bothers me. I kept my eye on them for a good while, but they behaved so well that I soon forgot all about them as we became so absorbed in the fate of the Sylvania, replied the captain blankly. I know I ought to have kept an eye on them to the end, and I am to blame. But it wasn't quite human to mind much about those rascals when we expected every minute to see your steamer fall back and be swamped. I had both boats ready to drop into the water. Gone, have they, I repeated. Haven't you any idea where they went? Your steamer was not near the levee, and they would not have gone ashore there if it had been. I can only guess where they went. Not long before you got out of that hole, a large passenger steamer came alongside and held on at our bowsprit's bit a while. She kept her wheels working all the time while I was telling the captain what had happened. I'm inclined to think that Cornwood and Boomsby stepped on board of her before she left. I found just now that their baggage was gone, and they could easily have got it out of the fore cabin while I was talking to the captain. I am sorry for it, and if it hadn't been for that break and your running into that hole, it would not have happened. How far ahead of us is that steamer, I asked. She must be all of two hours ahead, replied Captain Blasblow. I am sorry we have lost them, but it can't be helped, I added, as I led the way out into the pilot house where the passengers were assembled. I told my father of the escape of the robbers and asked him if the money was still safe, meaning the $4,000. It must be, for it was in my trunk in the Sylvania all the time you were inside of the levee, replied he, but I will make sure of it. He went down into the after-cabin and returned with the intelligence that it was where he had put it. This was some relief, and we dropped the matter because we could not do anything about the escape of the rascals. I felt rather cheap about the matter because I had not delivered them to the police at New Orleans. While I was asleep, my father and Mr. Tiffany had directed Cobbington to remove their portmanteaus, as they call their trunks, from the grand staterooms. They reported to me, and I assigned one of them to the planter and his wife, and the other to Miss Blanche. 
They were delighted with the apartments. Owen assisted upon giving up his room to Mr. Tiffany, and there were berths enough for my father and my cousin. Our cabin was about full again. I saw that my father was very much pleased with the planter and his family, and I think one might have gone all over the country to find people more agreeable. Supper was ready by the time the passengers had taken possession of their rooms and berths. I took the captain's place in the cabin for this occasion, though I often did so while we were in the river and the Sylvania was in charge of the pilot. Colonel Hungerford sat next to me on one side, and I told him about the robbery of the bank messenger and the escape of our prisoners. He thought it very probable that they had taken the steamer bound up the river. Donaldsonville is the next town of any importance, and there we can telegraph to some place ahead of the steamer and have the robbers detained by the police. Does anyone remember the name of the steamer? asked the colonel. Miss Margie Tiffany remembered that it was the Queen of the South. Owen was so reckless as to say he was glad the prisoners had got away, and he hoped they would succeed in eluding the police. We were yachting on the Mississippi, and we could not bother with arresting and holding prisoners. We had the money they had stolen, and that was enough. We may find the Queen of the South at Donaldsonville when we get there, continued Colonel Hungerford. It is seventy-four miles from St. Charles, which is the nearest post office to my plantation. When shall we get there? Not until early in the morning, I replied. We can't get along very fast against this current. The Queen may be there, as she will arrive in the night waiting for freight or passengers, replied the planter. If you will allow me, I will take charge of the apprehension of those men for I think I shall understand it better than you, as I have had considerable experience in such cases. Colonel Hungerford looked slyly at his wife and daughter. I could not understand the meaning of his expressive communication, but I was entirely willing he should cause the arrest of the fugitives. End of chapter